Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. This is episode number 48. And if you've been following on Facebook or the Gunfighter Cast webpage, you know I've been looking for a new co-host. And I've got my first guinea pig uh, that I've given the chance to, to take the co-host seat. I've got a couple more lined up if he's horrible, but I think he's going to be great. And I don't think that's going to happen. I told the other guy sorry already, so he better work out. Because uh, I think you'll understand after you hear him talk a little bit and we get going why I picked him. He's got a lot of information. He fills a lot of gaps that I have. A lot of my stuff's military-oriented, and John McGregor here has a lot of law enforcement experience and training civilians as well, where I don't normally train civilians, and I'm not a law enforcement officer. I think we're going to complement each other very well. I think it's going to be a, you know, a match made in, in heaven, I guess you could say. But John, welcome to Gunfighter Cast. Uh, not as a guest, but as the new co-host. No, thank you, Daniel. John, go ahead and, uh, just, I guess, introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, what you're about. All right. Um... Basically, I've been in law enforcement for about 20 years. Um, spent my first two years as a part-time officer and uh, spent the other 18 uh, as a full-time officer. Worked for a few uh, different departments, pretty much uh, steadily moving from a smaller department to something slightly larger. Uh, right now, I'm working at a uh, police department with 47 sworn, about 82 full personnel. And um, right now, I'm the sergeant in charge of uh, support services and training for that department. Uh, so that's pretty much my law enforcement background. Uh, what you were talking about, uh, you know, my experience complementing yours, um, it's actually the same way in reverse because I've got no military background. Way back a uh, long time ago, a uh, Army recruiter tried to Shanghai me by uh, sending me to a MEP station when I didn't know what a MEP station was. And I uh, found out real quick and uh, ended up uh, not trusting recruiters anymore. So I never uh, proceeded down the military path, just the law enforcement side. And uh, got uh, involved in training pretty early on in my career. I worked for some uh, small kind of one-horse towns to start with. Realized that uh, you know we have a good retirement system here. Uh, you do, at least when I got in, it was 20 years. You can retire at age 45. But I uh, figured the key to the retirement system was being alive at the end of 20 and wanted to do everything I could not to get myself killed uh, sometime during my career. So I kind of looked at the, the training side as a, a way to make sure that my skills were up in that area. Yeah, so there you go, folks. Yeah, quite elaborate law enforcement experience. But John also uh, teaches some civilians, like I mentioned earlier. And uh, for a... Uh, a very reputable school and company. Tell us a little bit about that, John. All right. Um, well, as uh, as part of my career, I got involved in firearms training, uh, mainly to benefit myself so that I could shoot better and uh, know how to use the tools better. But um, I also ended up uh, at some point uh, meeting one of the adjunct instructors for Six Hour Academy in Epping, New Hampshire, and uh, we got to know each other, and eventually he brought me on board over there. I've been uh, teaching for Sig Sauer Academy since 2003. Uh, I'm an adjunct instructor, so they basically call me up to fill in classes when all their full-time people are busy or tied up or something. And most of what we end up teaching over there, or at least what I end up teaching, are handgun courses, and most of the people in those courses, you know, I'd probably say maybe 80% are civilians looking to you know, either acquaint themselves with firearms or work on their 
firearm skills. And we get uh, you know, those people that are you know primarily interested in self-defense. I'd say that's probably most. Uh, but we also get some people that just want to be involved in competition sports or you know, some people just want to target shoot and want to make sure that they're doing it safely. So I've been able to uh, work on um, basically my teaching skills is, you know, I don't, unfortunately in law enforcement, although, you know, you may not think so, we don't get to do a whole lot of firearms training. Uh, most of my experience has actually been, you know, working on the, the outside, if you will, teaching uh uh, just, you know, people like you and me, just not involved in law enforcement or military. All right. Well, good. That's a little bit of background on John. And I'm sure as uh, we go forward, you'll get to know him a lot better. And uh, I will, too. Like I mentioned in the Facebook page, if you guys are following on Facebook, you've already seen that send us some constructive criticism. You know, help John out, help me out. We're going to help Gunfighter Cast go forward. We've got a lot of things planned for this next year. We've already been talking a little bit about some ideas that we have for uh, whenever I get back to the States. It's less than a year. Uh, I don't know if I have a sound effect, but I might have some cheering and clapping or something I'm going to try to put in there right then. If I don't, <laughs> just go ahead and imagine that that just happened there out there, guys, listening. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get back. And we got some plans, and I've got some plans. i got some things I want to do. And uh, as long as I can keep John motivated and on board here, you know, he's going to help me out. And I think he's got some good resources that can help make that happen. And uh, I think it's just, uh, like I said, it's, it's going to be a good thing if we can make this work. Um, it's it's going to be a good year for Gunfighter Cast. I'm still going to do that. Uh, what I talked about a few months ago with how many downloads I get, I'm going to somebody's going to get a nice gift just for simply being a member on the Gunfighter Cast Facebook page. Uh, that's still going to happen. I have talked a little bit with Joseph Chetwood at Crusader Weaponry about a possible gift and George Hill. Uh, about what we're going to give uh, the person. Uh, but it's going to be a random drawing. Just You don't have to do anything. You don't have to send any money. It's not a raffle. It's not anything else. All you got to do is be a member of the Facebook page, and it's probably going to be something that requires an FFL. And uh, that's pretty much it. So that's going to happen. We're looking to do some videos. We're looking at... I'm going to do some more writing. Uh, John's going to start doing some writing on the blog. Uh, you're going to have a lot of good stuff going out. We're going to have this website. My goal is to have a website that you're going to want to go to every once in a while, once or twice a week. Check out, download the new show that will be out once a week, and that you know, read whatever blogs are going on, whatever I'm ranting about, or whatever John's teaching about. You know, basically, I guess you could say. And uh, that's kind of what we're going for. And we still appreciate your guys' feedback, iTunes reviews, donations to help make all this stuff happen. Everything helps out a lot. So thanks a lot. I'll stop all that crazy admin announcement stuff, and we're going to break to one of these little Gun Rights Radio Network commercials, and we'll be right back. And we're going to talk about backup guns. This is Alex Addicts from the Practical Defense Podcast. I invite you to check out my new book called Practical Home Security, A Guide to Safer Urban Living. It's available now in Dead Tree Paperback, Kindle, Nook, and iTunes editions. Details and link are available from alexhaddix.com slash book. Remember, nothing says I love you like a book on practical home security next to a box of jacketed hollow points. Welcome back. Like I said, we're going to talk about backup guns. And I personally don't carry a backup gun. One, because I'm in Japan, I don't even get to carry a gun, period. So if I'm deployed, then I, my backup gun is a Breda M9 on my hip, and my primary gun is an M4. But uh, when I get back to the States, then I'll have the option once again to carry um a backup gun, and I've recently been shopping for a backup gun, 
and just so happened one of the suggestions John made of some topics that we could have was backup guns. And I was like, you know what? I'm shopping for these, so this is a good topic for me to learn something about them and see which ones I want and why I want it. And so uh, we could talk about that. You know, Daniel, I brought this up for you to uh, teach me about. So you're kind of oh, here. we're screwed then. Neither one of us know anything <laughs> about backup guns. All right, <laughs> it's uh, you know, I, I'll start. Off, I'll start off, and I'm sure you can add in tons more than I have. At least you better, or you're fired. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm uh, I've been kind of looking for the Smith and Wesson J frame. You know, it just everybody who seems to know something about revolvers seems to always say that they begin and end at Smith & Wesson. You know, uh, I, maybe there's some truth to that. I really can't give opinion because I've never owned one. I've never even owned a revolver. Okay, go ahead and flame me or whatever. That's fine. I've, I've never owned a revolver. You know, maybe I'm not old enough for a wheel gun. Uh, but I want to get one. You know, I want to... I hope you hope you guys are offended by that. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've been looking at the Ruger LCR. I've been looking at that one. And uh, I've been looking at Smith & Wesson J-Frames, and you know I'm going back and forth. I'm thinking something that I could go run with, uh, exercise, PT, uh, you know, gym, whatever, a little CrossFit or something with this pistol on me. Uh, but also it'd be something that you know I could wear in a pair of shorts, flip-flops, and a t-shirt, you know, in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, it could serve as a backup gun, you know, for, or in the summer when I'm wearing jeans or something, and I have some other place to put it in my body and throw it in a pocket or something. So that's kind of my thoughts on what I'm going to use a backup gun for. Now, I'm not a police officer. I know a lot of you guys out there are, and John happens to be. So uh, go ahead. Let's hear what a backup gun is first. Sure. Um, well, one thing I do have to say is that, uh, you know, although some departments, you know, do authorize backup guns, my department doesn't happen to be one of those. I don't get to carry uh, my backup gun on the law enforcement side. Uh, but... There are times, and I do have a backup gun. I've got a. Can I, can uh, I stop you right there, without you telling your apartment name or any department name or anything else like that? Yep. Can you give me any idea why they wouldn't allow <laughs> you to carry a backup gun? I'm, I'm sure it's some kind of civil liability thing or something, there where somebody go. would have All to right. do some kind of work. Question answer. And we wouldn't want them to do any more extra work and evaluate the guns. But I mean. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much you've stumbled upon the answer. It's a, a liability thing. Um, first of all, you know, just the, uh, fortunately, um, I work in the Northeast. I work in an agency in New Hampshire, if I haven't already mentioned that, but, uh, we don't have, you know, fortunately we don't have the, the high fatality rate of some of the other areas of the country. Uh, and unfortunately I think it's just one of those things that we haven't had a situation where somebody has been killed and a backup gun would have saved their life. Um, that coupled with, you know, like you said, the liability issue, where uh, it's just something else. You know, the administrator might see it as something else that can go wrong. Uh, from the logistical standpoint, we've got in you know, my department as uh, department issued weapons. Uh, coincidentally, we uh, we issue SIGs, two two sixes, two two nines, two thirty nines, and three fifty seven SIG. And we've got armors that uh, make sure those are in proper working order and they get inspected and everything uh, every year. You start adding backup guns to the mix. Now you've got uh, you know, maybe different manufacturers. Uh, you've got uh, different ammunitions that you may need to stock. Um, 
so there is something on the logistical side as far as cost to the agency. You know, who's going to, uh, you know, who's going to inspect these things? Who's going to support them? Uh, who's going to sign off on them? Who's going to pay for the training to get the people who are going to sign off for them? So, um, unfortunately, my department is not one of those that uh, does authorize backup things. Do you don't think it would be possible? I mean, like I said, no experience in that area. For here, I'm the I'm the police chief, and I say, look, you guys can carry backup guns. We've done our study. You can carry what this nearby large city allows people to carry. We'll say it's 38 or 357 uh, in a revolver type thing. And here's the guns that you're authorized to carry because we that's what they authorize. And we're kind of basing everything off of their information. And you can only use you know. Uh, this federal ammunition or uh, spear gold dot or whatever that is another known law enforcement round you know that that a local you know municipality uses and then say if you're going to do this you're doing it out of your own pocket and one of my trainers are going to do the training you have to qualify with that pistol you don't think that would that I mean that would save some cash and I'm sure it would still cost a little bit on the back end but yeah, I mean you can certainly minimize the uh, minimize expense, minimize the um, liability by having a, a well written policy uh, limiting what you can carry. But um, you know, unfortunately, it's it's kind of like uh, I kind of think of it as kind of like concealed carry permits in some states. Uh, you know, New Hampshire jail issue, but you know, some of those where the the local police chief decides, you know, he's not going to issue you know, you a concealed carry permit just because of the potential of liability. There's really nothing in it for him, only potential liability. Um, you know, unfortunately, where, like I said, nobody's been killed as a result of not having a backup gun uh, in my area, then there's really no uh, push you know, on anybody in administration's part to uh, look further into the back. Maybe that's because you're situation. shooting people with 357 SIG, and people don't usually get up after that. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's why we went there. We actually uh, we were actually shooting nine till about uh, uh, I want to say late 90s, early 2000. I don't know exactly when it was, but uh, it didn't perform. The nine didn't perform. You know, to what we were looking for. So. Basically, we went with the uh, nine millimeter on steroids and a three fifty seven sig. Yeah, you know everybody knows I like nine millimeters for a lot of different reasons, but yeah. man, that three fifty seven sig. If you're going to shoot somebody, you might as well shoot them with a three fifty seven sig. There you know? go. Make shooting a forty five a pleasure. Yeah, that's uh, it's got some really good ballistic data. All right, let's get back to the backup guns. Oh, just one more thing before before I forget about it. I mean, another consideration too. Is uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes in you know in law enforcement where you know we've got uh, unions and so forth. So you know, the other things about you know what you were saying about doing all the training on your own time. There, unfortunately, there are some people that uh, you know will not train on their own time because you know they don't want to get hurt and find out that they're not on the job and you know not entitled to workers' comp. So you know, I don't want to. I don't want to pick. Well, then they don't get to carry a backup. Yeah, and I don't want to paint the uh, you know the broad brush. It's always administration that's uh, behind you know the complications in law enforcement. But um, you know, and I don't. This is a little bit off topic, I guess. But I mean, we're kind of there. Um, you know, contrary to popular opinion, you know, us in law enforcement, you know, we're not all hundred percent shooters. Um, 
we're not all gun people. Uh, in fact, you know, unfortunately, I'd say we're kind of in the minority. I would guess, you know, just based on my personal experience, that you know, if I had to just, you know, kind of broad strokes, I'd say maybe at least uh, the agencies I'm familiar with, you know, about 25% are actual shooters um, that enjoy training and, and try and make themselves better. Uh, 50% of the department is adequate, you know, that's to them, it's just like driving a car. It's something they, they can do, but they feel they're good enough and they come out and do the quals every year. And then there's probably another quarter who, uh, you know, we they have trouble qualifying um, or they're just barely at qualification level and they don't practice the skills during the course of the year. And, you know, we all know shooting's, you know, perishable skill. So when it comes time to qualify next year, they're, you know, either, you know, right there at the qualification point or slightly under, we got to bring them up again. And it's, you know, just the same thing over and over. So there's not... Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not, you know, 100% of the uh, population department are banging on the chief's door to get backup guns. Um, there's probably a minority that would actually even carry them, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just kind of the way it is based on uh, my observations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. It's pretty scary, though, if you think about it. You know, all these people that earn this life-saving job that uh, can either barely qualify, qualify or... Just, you know, like, oh, I qualified last year. I'm good. I don't need anything else. You know, it's a, that's reality. And if anybody thinks it's different, then you're crazy. That's every line of work. That's doctors. You know, that's uh, that's mechanics. That's the U.S. Marine Corps. That's everywhere. Same thing. So we've, uh, yeah, we've determined that you don't carry backup guns, and I can't carry backup guns. So I guess this topic's over then, right? Yeah, uh, thanks for listening to episode number 48 right. of Gunfire, guess. Uh, um, but no, fortunately, I do uh, get to do some do some work. And just, you know, my concealed carry um, system or whatever, I incorporate a uh, backup gun. And, you know, I've seen some people uh, more on the civilian training side, um, you know, work in backup guns for different reasons, uh, you know, different applications. It's... Uh, you know, there's not one right way to do things, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, getting to work with a whole bunch of different people instead of, you know, the same 47 people all the time because you get to see what, you know, what other people think about and what other people uh, come up with for answers to solve problems. And that's something else that makes you valuable here is uh, you're going to see a wide variety of firearms come to that range. You know, it's not going to be like the same Smith & Wesson J-frame that you know because that's the gun you own. You know, you're seeing everybody's gun. You're seeing what gun ran well, which one didn't work so well, uh, which gun just had stoppages right and left, and and that kind of thing throughout the day. And you're actually learning. Uh, if you have never seen certain pistols, you get to play with it a little bit. Yeah, one of the things that's uh, you know that I like about you know teaching up at Sig is that uh, I mean it's the name of it Six Hour Academy, and you know if you want to borrow one of our guns, obviously it's going to be a Sig because that's what we got. A room full of, but uh, you know, if somebody wants to come up, you know, shoot their Glock, shoot their Smith and Wesson when they take our classes, you know, you're not going to get any uh, any resistance from us. Um, you know, first of all, it's you know, it, what's important is not that you carry a Sig; it's that you carry something that fits your hand. And you know, there's a lot of uh, products out there. As long as something, uh, you know, something safe, 
you know, we don't have any issues with what you carry. So, yeah, I do get to, you know, see the Glocks and the Smith & Wessons and um, the Berettas and pretty much all the all the popular ones. Um, I haven't seen a high point come through yet, but, uh, you know, knock on wood, hopefully. I had heard, well, I've heard a bunch, you know, good or bad or indifferent, but, you know, I'll withhold judgment until I actually see one, I guess. What uh, what kind of backup gun or guns that would pass as backup guns for most people? What kind of guns do you you see out there? Well, um, what uh, you know, you can't uh, you can't miss the J frame, um, you know, in all its different configurations. I've got uh, one of the uh, four forty two and thirty eight. It's one of the uh, hammerless models, um, so all double action, uh, five rounds. It's I didn't get the. I think there's one out there that you get the titanium frame. I've just got the regular air weight, and that's plenty light enough. Um, I don't know that I'd want it much lighter and actually have to shoot the thing on a regular basis. But, um, I mean, on the SIG side, there's a couple, uh, you know, smaller. There's a 290, which is kind of a a small double-action 9mm. They've got a 238 that uh, is a small 380 that's a single-action. You know, knowing what action to pick, that's uh, something we can talk about in a little bit. But uh, there's, you know, a number of uh, small Rugers out there. Um, you know, the LCRs, LCPs, see those pretty regular. Um, Keltex cars, there's, uh, it seems to be one of the areas of firearms that's, uh, you know, really, you know, I, I don't know that you could miss it really, the uh, not seeing the expansion in that area. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, 380 ammo is so expensive is, you know, because there's a demand for it. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of acceptable alternatives now. Um, you know, don't want to, don't want to miss out on the Glock, uh, people, you know, some people, uh, you know, the 26s, 27s, there's a guy that, um, I worked with on a class who was carrying a couple 232s and, uh, you know, one of the reasons for that. And maybe, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but whatever. Uh, there's no real script. But um, a 232 is a, a, um, it's a semi-automatic pistol, 380, but it's got a European mag release, which is that little button at the bottom of the uh, floor plate. And, uh, you know, they're great little guns, but uh, if you try doing some of the one-handed pistol techniques that we do, um, you know, and I'm sure you do them in the military. You know, your support hand goes down. Can you reload your pistol one-handed? Uh, yeah, of course you can. And can you do it with, you know, just your support hand? Of course you can. Uh, that system, uh, it's very complicated to do just because of the nature of the, uh, first of all, it's kind of that European mag release, and it doesn't have a slide catch lever. So when you get into stuff like uh, your double feeds one-handed, that is a very difficult thing to do with that particular weapon system. And this guy's answer to that uh, is he carries two of them. So that if one does go down or the weapon system goes down, part of him goes down, uh, rather than trying to fight one-handed to fix that one, he's got another one on his person to go to. So one of the... Uh, so he's got two backup guns. He's got a backup gun and a backup backup gun. Yes, a backup backup gun. So, Interesting. Yeah, it all. I mean, it all depends too on you know what it is, you know what system you're shooting, and you know what you're comfortable shooting. Um, you know, and like, how you dress, because yeah. I would have a real hard time carrying three guns on me uh, in the summertime. 
Yeah. In the wintertime, you know, I could probably do it, but uh, in the summertime, that's just going to happen. Yeah. I know. Because I always end up living near the beach in some place where, you know, it's really hot and humid, and that's just kind of where Marines are always stuck. Because they like you to get used to like some crappy environment, and then uh, take you to some other crappy environment that usually feels either colder or hotter. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, make this guy sound like a crazy person either. I mean, he wasn't carrying. I've never carried three guns other than a long gun, and you know, maybe. Oh, he doesn't sound crazy to me. But I know guys that carry three flashlights. <laughs> but he actually uh, had some. I think- he actually had some other medical issues that that made that size pistol, that caliber, um, you know, a good a good fit. Um, so that was kind of his, basically you could look at it as he's carrying two backups or you could look at it as he's carrying two primaries. It's, you know, pretty much in the eye of the observer. You know, whatever works. I mean, he's, I'm I'm guessing he's still alive right now. Yep. So apparently he's been making the right choice throughout the years. And he was, uh, I had him in a a single handed pistol techniques class and, you know, he, um, for the purpose of the class, he didn't go to the backup. He tried working for the problems, you know, trying to fix his, uh, you know, his primary, his primary backup gun. And, uh, you know, he was able to struggle through it. It certainly wasn't as easy as, uh, you know, some of the other people with the, you know, the season mag release and the slab catch lever you can get at. But, uh, you know, he was able to fight through it and stick with it. Well, I got a really selfish question about on the same topic. We're going through different types of guns. I've been talking for at least a couple of years now how I want a Walther PPS. And it is at about number two on the list. Number one right now, the next one to buy is going to be a Mossberg 930 SPX. And then number two is that PPS. Um, has anybody come out there shooting those as their backup gun or primary or anything? I'm familiar with it. I haven't uh, I haven't shot one or, or had, anybody, had anybody shooting one of those uh, at the range. But... Uh, it looks interesting. I, I've summoned, I wouldn't mind having one in my uh, my safe as well. Yeah, it's just a, such a small, perfect filling pistol. You know, just I can I can conceal that thing anyway. You can drop it in a pocket. You know, it's uh, pretty impressive to be a nine millimeter. It's usually it's like the size of what would normally be a you know a three eighty or thirty two ACP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. All right, so those. Well, what are some? I mean, you named a few, like the Glock twenty six. You know, you go to the thirty six, uh, that Walther PPS. Uh, I mean, if you want to stay on Walther, I mean, yeah, you, I guess you could go with like a PPK, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, thirty two or seven point six five. Um, same thing, but the uh, a little bit more low end, cheaper. Just if you're not going to shoot it very often, you're probably not going to need it. Uh, I hate them myself. Mm-hmm. I think if you buy a really nice gun, they might throw in a Bursa Thunder 380. You know, <laughs> it's like a it's like a door prize or something. Like you you buy yeah. a Springfield 1911. No, we're gonna throw in a free Bursa. You know, but uh, but for a backup gun, you know, I I think it would probably do, and it's very inexpensive. Um, yeah, I, I can't uh, I can't say anything bad about. Uh, the only thing I know about the bursts is kind of what I've read on some uh, some forums, and I mean they seem to have their supporters. So uh, I, I've owned one for a while. Them. Yeah. Okay. And so you one. can crap. On yeah, it. I can make fun of them a little bit. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's almost like you're you're shooting something like uh, it's like I'm shooting a ten millimeter. It's just everything about this thing is ugly and bad feeling and abusive. I I hate them, but yeah. uh, man, but for a backup gun, small, easy to conceal, and expensive, you know, I think it'd probably work for a lot of people. And even though I don't like the gun, I mean, if I was broke as a joke, you know, I I would. Might would go back to it because 
one thing about it, it usually did fire when I pulled the trigger. I didn't experience uh, really any stoppages or anything. It was just I hated everything else about it. But reliability, I guess I have to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, and I think that's something that's you know somewhat universal when you start talking about. Uh, well, if you know, assuming you're talking about a smaller type frame for as your backup on something you're going to keep uh, in pocket, that's going to be uh, something you're going to find is that you know you may uh, enjoy shooting that nine millimeter out of your you know your full size two two six or whatever all day long. It's uh it's a different experience when you know pistol is you know under you know what are they under twenty ounces? Some of these little uh, some of the little backups. It's uh it's not as fun to some people is uh you know shooting the full size just not as comfortable yeah now i don't have little girly tom, tom hands that carl always makes fun of on the gun dudes where like he's got his hands are hurting <laughs> and he can't shoot anymore or something like that you know i've got big tough man hands that mm-hmm. take abuse all the time and uh well that might be quite somewhat an exaggeration but uh yeah reasonably strong hands and my hands like getting beat up a little bit and uh but man like shooting some small pistols like that that one that bursa thunder 380 like the webbing of my thumb and it's just beat the it's not a hard report it's a it's uh it's sharp i guess is the best way to say it. it's snappy yeah. like it hits you even with a nice firm grip it mm-hmm. really hits you and it's abusive and uh shooting a lot really fast it, it's not if you you would think like a 380 oh let me shoot this let's rent this this 380 it's smaller and let your your <laughs> shooter friend come shoot it. No, don't let them shoot that. Let them shoot that full size nine millimeter or something, or buy them a twenty two. Let them shoot that a little bit, or rent one. Don't don't think that that three eighty is like perfect for your nine year old son to shoot. Yeah, no. you sometimes it, you sometimes see that you see that with uh, you know people trying to get their wives involved and stuff, and you know you see them set them up for failure by buying this. You know maybe she's got you know smaller hands or whatever. So let's put her in some you know super <laughs> small little pistol. That's you gonna, know what. You're exactly Punch right. The crap out of her. I, I bought my ex-wife a Thunder 380. See, and that's and why she's now your ex-wife. my ex-wife. Exactly. That, that, that you know what I've been wondering for this whole time, and now you know what. But it worked yeah. out great because I traded up to a better model. But uh, <laughs> but still, that explains a lot. Maybe that is why because I, I shouldn't have bought that 380. Had yeah. I bought her a full size real pistol. Um, yeah, I've seen plenty of ladies who uh, you know you. You could go down that road, buy them a little 380 or whatever. They're not going to like it. The you put a uh, you know full size 45 in their hands, something stainless. Um, you know one of those big scary heavy guns, and they actually enjoy shooting it. Now we're off on a women carrying tangent right now, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah. But the is- the other the other side of that coin is if you've got something, a lot of them don't want to carry something heavy. Mm-hmm. So you want something small, so they will carry it. Because like, yeah, I'm tired of carrying this; it's too heavy. Or I'm tired of carrying this in my purse because it's too heavy. Or it's just it digs into my hip; it's too heavy. And I don't like it. You know, it's uh, there's kind of there's a there's a, a balance there. You know? Yeah. When when you're talking backup guns, it's it's a consideration for women as well as men. Is uh, it's tough to get a gun that fits your hand. Um, but it's also small enough to, to meet that uh, requirement for concealment. Um, you know, certainly, you know, for me, I'll, you know, my normal carry gun isn't, you know, one of those small little backup guns. And because the small guns, the backup guns, what we're calling, just because they don't fit as well, they're, they're harder to shoot. So, uh, you know, like you were saying, there's, you know, I find in, you know, in the shooting sports, there's always a trade-off, you know. Um, 
you get the bigger weapon that fits your hand that you, you know, get good set of sights, you can shoot accurately, but the consideration is, you know, where do you carry it? How do you carry it concealed? And certainly, you know, am I going to try carrying two of those pistols, two of those full-size or mid-size pistols on my person? You know, it makes it difficult. So you kind of got to, uh, if you do want something back, something a little better for concealability, often fit there's a lot of good options out there, too. And like I tell everybody when they're talking about want to buy a new pistol, if you're looking to buy a backup gun or just something small and, and light to carry in the summertime because of the way you dress uh, or whatever, I, you know, like I tell people when they, they email me and ask me, what I want to buy a pistol, what should I get? You know, I tell them to go shoot them. You know, shoot a pistol. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to spend a lot of money but get something that's great, I've been looking at some of those Sig Mosquitoes. Uh, there's some, some car arms. Uh, make, make some... some Huge following, Robar. Uh, there's a lot of good good pistol manufacturers out there that have some really small pistols that can uh, suit your needs for you. But uh, you know, get your hands on one, see what it feels like, see how it shoots. Yeah, that's uh, you know, go to your ranges, get uh, you know, find one with a good rental gun uh, department or whatever, and you know, kind of try it before you buy it. Um, you know, we've got you know um, up at Sig, we kind of have some people that start taking classes and they don't bring anything because they want to try some of our stuff out too um yeah you've got i'm sure there are probably training people that uh, you may be able to kind of do the same thing borrow something or you just find a buddy or something that's you know willing to as long as you agree to feed it willing to lend you uh one of their pistols and you know give that a try yeah absolutely and that's that's the key man to because if not you're going to be like me and you're going to buy that thunder 380 <laughs> and you're going to get rid of your wife and the pistol. Yeah. And uh, so then you're going to, have to go fill that void. But yeah, it's uh, there's lots of options out there, man. There's uh, more fish in the sea, I guess you could say. Yeah. One of the uh, another consideration that you know, we want to think about when we're uh, looking into a backup gun is uh, you provide. You know, it is going to be a backup gun for a, a primary system. Is uh, you want to make sure that your backup gun is has the same system as your primary or if you can't do that a simpler system than your primary and uh you know what i mean by that is you know if you're used to uh carrying a you know some type of double action only or a striker fired system that's got no decocker or uh you know no safety levers or something then you know backup gun that's a, a single action that you carry cocked and locked in your pocket you know, may not be the best alternative for you, um, you know, because if you need that backup gun, it's probably going to be a pretty highly stressful event. You don't want to have to think about, well, how do I operate this thing? Um, you want a system um, that's either going to operate, you know, exactly the same. So, you know, like your, uh, well, like your Glocks, you know, you carry maybe a 19 as your primary, maybe a 26 is your is your backup type of system. Yeah, the the clock is going to just completely excel in this right here. Yeah, and you know we you interchangeable magazines. You only have to carry one type of ad. Everything, if it's like if you're carrying a Glock 19 and a Glock 26, mm-hmm. you know those magazines are interchangeable as well. Well, yep. The 19 mags can go on the 26. 26 mags aren't going to be long enough to go on the 19. Yes, you've got. Um, yeah, there are definitely some advantages when you can stay in the same family of a firearm. You know where you're going to find it. You know some of the uh, the the systems going to operate the same way, um, and even if even if you can't get a 
system where the magazines are interchangeable. You know, if you're used to, you know, decocking your pistol before you go back to the holster, you know, big idea to try and stick with something like either the same system or something simpler. So, you know, maybe you do shoot traditional double action as your as your primary. Um, if your backup gun is double action only, um, I don't see that as a big disadvantage because you know, if I'm used to decocking the pistol and you know, after you know bad things have happened, I've gone to my backup, I've you know pulled the trigger a few times. Uh, if I thump for a decocker that's not there, nothing bad is gonna happen. But you do it in reverse if you're used to shooting double action only, and now your backup gun is the one with the decocker, and you forget to decock it before shoving it back in your pocket. Um, you know, I think we can figure out what bad thing could happen from that. Yeah, like I said, the, I think that Glock's great for that, and uh, I never really thought about that uh, the, using the different action or you know one that's the same uh, mechanics or even simpler. I think that's really good advice. The uh, you just can't get much more simpler than a revolver, like like the one you're running, that J frame with the hammerless, uh, double action, pull trigger, go boom, uh, until it runs out of ammo. It just doesn't get any easier than that, and that could be why a lot of people are choosing you know those those simple revolvers like that for their backup guns. You know, you're wrestling around with somebody, he takes control of your weapon, um, somehow he gets out of your retention system, or you can't get your weapon out of your holster because. Uh, you know, he's trying to get it out. He's got it blocked, but you can get to your backup gun because he doesn't know it's there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm kind of giving this story from a law enforcement kind of thing. Um, yeah, that backup gun, real simple. You know, find a surface, put it up against it, pull the trigger until he stops trying to fight you. It's, yeah, um, and that, that's a good, um, you know, what you said there is uh, another good selling point for the revolver because you, know, you do that with a, a semi-automatic, put it up against a surface, you know, you push too hard. Now the slide's out of battery. Nothing's going to happen. You know, revolver, as long as they don't get their hands on the cylinder, um, you know, you can right up against some, you know, up close and personal, start pulling the trigger, and it's going to work for you. Yep, exactly. It's uh, so I mean, that's uh, some good information. So we've so far we've covered, uh, you know, a few different types of backup guns, sizes, calibers, um, manufacturers, things you can go check out, some different uses for them, and uh, you know how to choose one. But the uh, but where where do we put them, John? Where do we put our backup guns on our body? Well, that's yeah, that's another consideration, and uh, unfortunately, with uh, you know, like we talked about a little earlier with shooting, there's always advantages and disadvantages to uh, you know anything you choose. Um, some things I've seen, um, you know, basically having the pistol in a you know front pocket on the same side of the primary. Uh, because of you know commonality of training and so forth, and you know if you're used to reaching for your pistol on your right side, then you know you've got a an advantage by keeping it on that right side. Um, disadvantage to that though is if you're going to carry a backup gun in case you know that you get injured, you know, maybe your primary hand gets hurt either you know during the confrontation or maybe even before, maybe it was hands on before uh turning to a dead force encounter and you know now you've got a, a broken right hand or something if your if your backup gun is in your right front pocket uh that's may not be as helpful as you would uh, like it to be so and I've this seen. is where i hate to say it but ankle holsters have an advantage and i am not a fan of ankle holsters especially not for a primary pistol 
But if you're trying to get to a pistol and it's on the inside of, say, your right leg, mm-hmm. you can get that with either hand just as easy. You know, it's yep. no trouble. True. Sometimes, um, you know, as far as a uh, one uh, consideration for the ankle, though, uh, as far as retention goes, is if the fight does go to the ground. Um, you know, I've seen some people, you know, training to get their ankle gun, um, you know, from a ground type position, but. You know, unfortunately, it's just, you know, something that you want to train for. If you get, uh, you know, in trouble with somebody that's got some MMA experience or something, and now they've, you know, got them in the guard or, or they've mounted you, uh, you may have a problem reaching around that person to get to your ankle to get to your, your backup gun. So, yep. but on the other, you know, on the other side of it, you know, some of us, you know, we're so talking should we, should about. So, we, should we just duct tape them to the back of our head and say, yippee ki yeah, or the you know one to the back of the head and you know back of the neck, one to the uh, appendix area would probably be the yeah. safest thing. We well, yeah, there's, I guess you kind of got to decide you know what what is most likely to you know to happen to you and and how you're going to choose to carry it. Um, you know because you know people carry them for different reasons. Uh, you know some people will you know, the reason they carry a backup gun is if the primary fails, uh, but some people carry them. If, you know, call it you know, the shooter fails, you know, all of a sudden you can't use that primary hand that you wanted to before. Um, so they're going to maybe put them in different locations. Um, you know, I've seen some people say, uh, you know, advocate carrying a backup gun uh, just in case you're you're caught in something and your friend didn't bring a gun. You've got one to give to him. Um, yep. I, I don't know. It kind of in, in law enforcement, there's always this thing that, you know, we should all have the same weapons so that if, you know, one of our buddies runs out of ammo, I can throw him a magazine in the middle of a gunfight so that he can keep going. You know, a perfect uh, example of that, um, I'm not going to say any names where I got this idea from, but say you were, you were a law enforcement officer like yourself and you're traveling in the city of Chicago with a friend of yours who knows how to use a gun or your mm-hmm. wife or significant other. You should be carrying a backup gun with you. Because it's not going to be legal for your wife or significant other or a friend you're welcome with to carry a gun if they're not a law enforcement officer. Because they just can't carry in the city of Chicago. True. But if you have two guns, something bad happens, now you and your buddy have a gun. True. And I think we're probably still breaking the law at that point. But You are breaking the law, but there's actually a law that says you're allowed to break the law right then. And that's called the uh, competition of harms because uh, it's it's kind of like driving down the road and mm-hmm. a car's coming into your lane. You could break the law and go left of center and keep from getting killed and killing people in that car, or you could stay in your lane and follow the law. So staying in your lane following the, following the law can cause more harm than getting out of that lane. So now you're okay and justified to get to break the law at that point. I hope I explained that right. It sounds good to me. I'm learning yeah. stuff, too. Uh, I learned that from the MAG-40 class, actually. You can find that at wasadaugroup.com. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a uh, you know consideration as well. And, uh, I mean, the last one I have is some people will, will choose a backup gun as a, a method of a faster reload. They think that rather than working through a reload, maybe to be quicker just to grab a second already loaded weapon on my person. Yeah, it's the same concept as what we do in the military. You know, if I'm dual armed uh, or have what some people like to call a secondary weapon system, uh, basically a pistol in my holster on my side and 
I'm shooting at someone that's you know 10 feet away from me, it's going to be a lot faster for me to drop that, pull my pistol out, empty that mag in them, than it is for me to reload right then or clear a double feed or mm-hmm. whatever may have happened in, in my weapon there. So it's uh, definitely a viable reason to carry that backup gun. If, as long as you have it in a good spot that you can get to quickly. Now, yeah. if you're wearing some super tight skinny jeans and you've got it in your pocket, um, yeah, you, you may have a hard time getting to it. Yeah, fortunately, I don't have any skinny jeans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't. The world I haven't wouldn't like skinny it if jeans I did, crazy. really. But yeah, it's definitely. Well, you know, personally, in my opinion, a, no male should ever wear these skinny jeans. God bless the guy who invented them for women, but <laughs> males shouldn't take part. Well, that kind of got off topic a little bit, huh? <laughs> but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, a consideration. You know, we're talking. You, know, you mentioned the ankle before. You know, longer, longer process to get that. Uh, to that pistol in, in certain circumstances. Um, on the other side of things, though, if you're, you know, in a vehicle all the time, then that ankle uh, is a little more accessible than it would be to somebody that's going to be on their feet. And might be that, uh, you know, the way you've got to dress, if you've got to be in a, you know, um, you know, long pants, uh, button-down shirt, uh, you may find the ankle, you know, is your thing. It works for you. People, uh, people at your work aren't going to notice and. You're not going to scare anybody. You know, I I really haven't given that much thought of where you know I would put it. It's a, you do want to make sure you can get it if that right hand goes down and mm-hmm. you lose control of that pistol and you have to get that secondary out. So you know, my back right pocket isn't the best spot. My front right pocket isn't the best spot. But wherever you decide to put it and wherever I decide to put mine, you need to practice drawing with that that left hand or whatever hand you don't normally use, right or left. Uh, practice getting that out. You know, there's you could. Say you wanted to, um, like I use a crossbreed super tuck uh, a lot of times, carrying inside the waistband, and I really like that super tuck a lot for you know Glock 19. And but they have a lot for revolvers and small guns. They have the mini tuck. Now, if if someone wanted mm-hmm. to, they could place uh, in like kind of on their appendix, uh, they could put that revolver in the back left sm- small their back back there, uh, and be able to reach that with their right hand around their back, and also be able to get it easily with their left hand as well. Uh, seems like a pretty good location. Uh, I guess you might have to buy your jeans a few inches bigger if you're going to carry two inside the waistband holsters, but, you know, whatever works, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's definitely one of those things you want to, uh, uh, you know, consider for your individual circumstance. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen plenty of people that, you know, will utilize that technique, kind of the reach-around-the-back method to get to a weapon that you carry on the primary side. Um, but unfortunately, too, I've seen some people based on body type that the arm's yep. just not long enough to transverse the waist to get mm-hmm. around to the other side. So uh, it's definitely, like you said, I, I think the real key to it is going to be to uh, train and, you know, Whatever you decide, practice it. Make sure it works in real-world situations. Make sure that you can get to it with both hands. Now, if you're one of those guys that wears a fanny pack, problem solved. I just can't bring myself (laughs) to do it. That would look good with your skinny jeans, I'm sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, we've we've got some people, too, um, uh, as far as uh, uh, the fanny pack thing goes. well, I've had a guy that that was his primary carry. Um, you know, he was in the medical field, and um, he had that as an option because that's what fit into. He can carry him. lots of goodies in there. Yeah, yeah, could have could be his first aid kit. You know, you don't know. So it was a good option for him. So I can't totally crap on the uh, the fanny packs, but uh, yeah, me personally, I I won't wear one. 
Uh, you know, I'm talking like so going to the mall or something. I just couldn't bring myself to wearing a fanny pack. I, I hate to make fun of them because some people out there probably do, and mm-hmm. they're probably getting mad at me right now. I'm never listening to the show again. Uh-oh. Make fun of my fanny pack. And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's all in good fun. If you want to wear a fanny pack, go right ahead. But I know a lot of Marines and soldiers who wear fanny packs. There's a few tactical gear companies that make them. And uh, if you configure your gear, you can make this to where it turns, you just pull it around to your back, and it's kind of a butt pack. Mm-hmm. But then when you need it, you can just grab it, pull it right around to the front, and get to something, which is real convenient. And uh, any military guys out there that have been in long enough to wear when we, when we used to wear butt packs um, would be like, hey, man, can you get my, my e-tool out of my butt pack? Or can you hand me my poncho? Or, hey, can you button my butt pack back up for me? And it was so annoying. Like, if you can't get to your gear on your own, then you've got your gear in the wrong place. That's what I tell people. But it's just don't don't ask me to get a piece of gear out for you. But uh, yeah, another little tangent, I guess. But some of the military guys will relate and be like, yep, I hate that too, man. I'm sure. That might be a, a another future topic uh, we could delve into is the whole man purse thing. Yeah. You know, Tom carries a man purse, I think. I think he bought one of those. Uh, yeah, he did. It was, it was a couple months ago, I think, he got one of those. Tom from the Gun Dudes. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we can have him on and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I've got. Uh, I, I'll have to confess, I've got a. Uh, I've bought some Maxpedition gear myself. That uh, you know, kind of. If you really think about it, it is a man purse. As much as I just want to call it a pack or a satchel, it is essentially a man purse. Well, I mean, I, I won't knock that one. I've really considered getting. I mean, Jack Bauer carried one. Oh well, yeah. I mean, if you watch Twenty Four, and anything Jack Bauer does, you just can't argue with it. That guy's just he exhumes awesomeness mm-hmm. but uh you know i've considered a few of them too just find like a nice little rugged i could throw my laptop in there uh you know whatever and it'd be pretty normal and keep you know backup gun or something in there i wouldn't want my primary in there because i'm, I'm just not a fan of off the body carry mm-hmm. i like for my primary to be on my body but uh yeah i, I think it, certain situations or whatever i'm doing you know if i'm shopping in the mall i don't think i want to walk around with my my you know man purse but uh, you know, if I'm traveling or something, then absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, like I guess it all depends on what you're doing, what your lifestyle is. Yep, how it fits into the uh, the world around you. Absolutely. But you know, the thing, the cool thing about that man purse, though, I tell people if you're into this gunfighting thing, and, and you're into this this protection, you know, carrying a, a, a pistol for self defense, defending your family, uh, you're a law enforcement officer or you're a civilian or military, but you've taken you know that responsibility to carry a firearm. You're going to be using this in situations where lives are in danger and bullets are flying around. People could get hit by your bullets. People could get hit by the bad guy's bullets. I think it's our responsibility. We should also at least have a working knowledge of first aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having that man purse, I think that you can have a little bit of equipment in there. It's not very much weight. Maybe just some gloves for a barrier there to protect yourself. Uh, you know, a face mask to put on to, to help for with the CPR. Uh, you know, if you want to get real high speed and you're, you know, super guy, you can get one of the smaller defibrillators. You can do, you can go, you can go as far as you want with that thing. But uh, it might be going a little bit overboard if you're not a, you know, a medical professional. But uh, you just have it opens up a lot of options. Yeah, it certainly does. And you know, you know, you mentioned that you know you may be hurting other people, but you know, you may get hurt yourself, and you may need something on your person to, uh, you know, save your own life. Yep. So what else we got? Backup guns. Um, for me personally, I mean, I, I try not to I try not to let it replace my primary if it doesn't have to. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a trap because 
I mean, let's face it, a backup gun in a pocket, it's very comfortable. Uh, you know, you can buy the right kind, you forget it's there. But by the same token, you know, I've caught myself a few times that, you know, I want to run out and do something and I'll want to just, you know, take the, the comfortable way out and just throw that in your pocket and consider I'm armed and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I can see that. But it, it doesn't replace your primary system. I mean, there's a lot more that I can do with, uh, you know, my primary handgun than I can do with my backup. So uh, I just don't want to necessarily fall into that trap. Um, you know, your pocket carry, one of the things that uh, you also want to make sure you do if you're keeping, I mean, it's, you know, pretty much common sense, but if you're carrying a pistol in your pocket, uh, you don't carry anything else in that pocket, um, you know, keys or knives. Or, and get a pocket holster or something to protect that trigger guard. Yeah, most. You know, go out there and spend the, the 10 bucks it costs. Yeah, I'm, I've got a, uh, I mean, as far as, well, I won't say who, uh, I won't say the manufacturer, uh, but he's not my uncle. And um, I, I don't like the duty stuff uh, they do, but the, the pocket holster I use is uh, one of their cheaper Cheaper pocket holsters. It works fine. You know, I, I've made fun of Uncle no, Mike a few times. I didn't I've say seen that. Some I've seen some. Yeah, well, I know you said he's not your uncle, but uh, I'll say it. You know, and that's 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 why I haven't really accepted any sponsors because I reserve the right to talk crap about gear manufacturers mm-hmm. and say ones I like. But you know, I've seen Sarkinex stuff lately that seems pretty decent, and I and I I haven't you know used it extensively, but they may be coming around. Oh, that's I, good I don't to know. hear. But I also have. Also, I've seen a lot of their little pocket holsters like you're talking about using, and for what they are, they're the same as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really not any difference. So I don't think you'd be going wrong in that, that aspect using that uh, using your uncle. Yep. You know? but, At least I'm hoping they're coming around. Yeah. But I'm sure they won't tell on me wanting to give me money anytime soon. <laughs> not after this show. I've already burned that much. That's all right, though. Yeah. So, yeah, again, um, you know, we're just Besides you know, the pocket holster, making sure we've got nothing else in the pocket. So you know, you're going to carry some uh, spare ammunition for that. You know that becomes a consideration too. You know where are you going to put that? And you start running out of pocket space, filling it, uh, filling them with backup guns. Yep, yep. And I mean the only other concern I think we've already touched upon is just the uh, you know kind of the fit of it. Realizing that you're you know you're choosing to kind of make you know, make a trade, you're willing to accept the advantages and concealability. And, you know, the downside is it's not going to, it's not going to fit as well. Um, for me personally, you know, I've, um, I've shot the LCP uh, a couple times and it's, you know, it's great for concealability, but I find it's almost too small for me to effectively pull the trigger on it. I get the trigger back as as far as my hand will allow and my my index fingers coming around hitting stuff on the other side other parts of my hand on the other side and the and the trigger hasn't broken yet so um you know it's definitely something you can train around i mean that's that's the other thing to consider is that uh you know as far as fit of handguns and weapon systems and stuff is you know we're human beings you know we're we adapt that's what we do so um you can kind of, as long as you're willing to put the time in, put some training in, you know, work through those problems and make sure that you're uh, comfortable with your kit. Yeah, I think that's where this is heading. Uh, training. You know, I would, I would say off the top of my head, just just considering this, the amount that you may have to use that backup gun, but then that time that you do have to use it, it's kind of like your gun. Don't just grab that revolver or, or you know, 
auto pistol, whatever you're using, throw it in your pocket and, and never really train with it. Never train from going to that primary to that alternate. Train doing that, going to that, that uh, your backup pistol. Uh, if you carry a pistol, I mean, most of us don't go out every day and shoot somebody every day. It just doesn't happen. But we still carry that primary pistol just in case, just so we have that parachute in case, you know, we're in that free fall environment with something's going on and we have to stop it and protect ourselves, our loved ones. So your backup gun's the same thing. Maybe that parachute didn't open and we go to our secondary. Mm-hmm. you got to practice going to that secondary. Uh, and I would say, you know, if you're going to put uh, 500 rounds through your primary, I would say, you know, a third of whatever you shot at least, you know, put through that secondary. You know, get used to using that in the situations that you feel that that you would be needing that. And I would, I'd say at the least. Yeah, it's, you know, one of those kind of traps with uh, with training is, you know, what kind of training do we typically do? You know, we... We do the stuff that we like to do, and we do the stuff that we're good at because it makes us feel good and we get success. But uh, it's definitely one of those things we want to keep an eye on, break ourselves out of those habits because they're not as easy to shoot. They're not as comfortable to shoot. Um, you know, it can be a pain to, you know, actually access them. But, you know, it's kind of like support hand shooting. You know, you, you want to force yourself to practice it, even though it's not the most entertaining thing you do at the range. It, you know, if you need it, uh, you're probably in a pretty bad situation. Um, if you've if you've gone through one weapon system already and you're reaching for your second one, it's probably a bad day, and you know you're already behind the curve and potentially injured and so forth. Uh, you want to have a good skill set that uh, you know you want to have to be formulating a plan at that time. You want to already know what to do and how to do it. Yep, exactly. So the time when you're not actually in trouble. That's when you should be practicing it, you know, on the range. Yeah, but we, you know, um, we have a saying: we're not going to rise to the occasion. We're going to default to our level of training. I'm sure you guys probably use that in the military as well. So, you know, don't think magically you're going to you know, become a gunfighter just because you've stuck a revolver in your pocket. Uh, you've got to put the time in beforehand. Oh yeah. Yep. Exactly. Well, any final thoughts? Bug guns? Anything? Uh, I think the most important thing was, you know, what you said before, just go out there. Don't just, uh, you know, let your friend tell you what the best is and and stick with that. Go out there and and shoot a bunch and find out uh, what works for you. Give it some thought and uh, have fun with it. Yep. That sounds good to me. Well, all right. Well, that was uh, mine and John's first episode together. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I I think at some point we got out some good information during that. But, uh, (laughs) <laughs> at some point. I guess we'll see. Yeah, at some point in that, there was, there was something good that came so, out. I'm sure there's at least one thing that was good we're in We're just going to edit down about 10 minutes, maybe? Yeah, we've been talking for an hour and 17 <laughs> minutes, and I'm sure this is going to come out at about maybe five and a half, ten minutes, maybe. We'll push for that. Cool. We'll call it a microcast. Well, it was good seeing you all. Uh, this will be my last episode, but thanks for giving me the try. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not coming back. Um <laughs> <laughs> all right well again thanks guys for listening it's it's always a pleasure to bring this to you sorry it's been so long I, i'm gonna make my usual excuse i went to the philippines uh got sent last minute after the mag 40 as soon as i got back they're like oh you're going to the philippines uh okay so i went to the philippines did some good training with some marines down there shot a lot of machine gun some uh m14s that i swear were used in korea uh it's just like so old but uh we uh or Korea, or at least Vietnam, or the north the end of the Korean War, but it, it was pretty ridiculous. These these M14s were so old and, and beat up uh, that the Filipinos used. Um, 
did a lot of good stuff down there. Had a, had a good time. And then uh, I came back and I came down with what the doctor said was either malaria or typhoid. And uh, I was I thought I was going to die for about a week and a half. Uh, it, it was I'm not even going into details, but it was just it was miserable. And uh, I couldn't maintain my body heat. And then I was overheating myself when I started shaking. And uh, it, it was terrible. Uh, but he treated me for both. And I got straightened out. And uh, it, it was good. And uh, kind of missed a few things there. But that's pretty much what's been going on with me. And then I had to take off, uh, try to go home for Christmas, but that didn't quite work out. But here we are. And the new year is going to be full of Gunfighter Cast. It's going to be the year of the Gunfighter Cast. That's what it's going to be. Back and it's going to better be awesome. than ever. That's right. Yep. Born again hard, I guess you could say. All right. Well, again, thanks, guys, for listening. It's always a pleasure bringing it to you. And glad to have John with me, helping me out, think of topics, and give his commentary from his side. And I'm sure you guys enjoyed having him. And uh, if not, too bad. You're going to probably keep getting them. That's it. John, Gunfighter Cast out. All right, Dan. Uh, be safe and uh, Gunfighter Cast. can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources.